Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Episode 96, we'll take a look at the tradition of the men in the Blue Blazers. And of course, I'm talking about the Committee of 101. As a long-standing tradition of UK athletics starting in 1966, the Committee of 101 is never hard to find at UK football and basketball games. With their willingness to help fans, their support and dedication goes beyond just handing you a game program. If you ever wondered how the Committee of 101 became such a prominent organization of supporters, Oscar's conversation with longtime 101 member Danny Moore will do all except give you that blue blazer. Danny will tell the story of how Western Union Telegrams evolved into the Committee of 101 and how he became a member. We will learn about the various duties of the Committee of 101, including preparations and communications for game day. The longevity of the Committee of 101 is due partly to the support of UK administrators, and Danny will discuss with Oscar some individuals over the years that has showed their support, including Cliff Hagen, Dr. Otis Singletary, and Mitch Barnhart. How influential was the late Van Florence on Danny's membership into the committee? We'll find out. With being a member comes great responsibility and dealing with coaches, and Danny will discuss the past UK basketball coaches, including opposing coaches, Bobby Knight, and there's a really unique story about Roy Williams. As you will find out, 101 is much more than a committee. They are family, and they're just as much a part of Big Blue Nation than you or me. In 1981, the late Van Florence said anytime manpower is needed in UK athletics, we're there. And today, the committee of 101 is still there. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House, and his guest, Danny Moore. Throughout Big Blue Nation, when people come to Lexington for Kentucky basketball, Kentucky football, there's nobody that's more recognizable than the men in blue. Tell me about the men in the blue coats. All right, the organization was formed in uh, 1966 by 101 IBMers. They each put in a dime and sent a Western Union telegraph to coach Rupp and the Wildcats on the away games. And it was a good luck uh, jester, and Coach Rupp caught wind of it and loved the idea. So the club kept doing it, and eventually it turned into an organization, and they named it the Committee of 101 because 101 guys put in a dime and sent a telegram to Coach Rupp and the Cats for good luck. So Did that start at the very beginning of the season or the middle ways in the season? It started – the best I know, the the, uh, the first of the basketball season. And then it developed into Coach Rupp wanted uh, the men to form an organization. And like I said, we, we they named it the Committee of 101. We started ushering basketball games at first at the Coliseum. And there were so many people that uh, – 
I can the the older remember older members uh, tell me stories about that. You always wanted to usher the good games. He says there were so many uh, members that it didn't take all 101 members to usher at the Coliseum back then, so they had to switch games, and uh, that's the way the club started. Uh, oh, Danny, Coach Rupp was one of the most superstitious people I'd ever known, and I'm just wondering how you guys hung on because the last regular season game that year uh, the good luck charm didn't work in Knoxville, Tennessee. Well, I don't know that much about Coach Rupp. I have great respect yeah. for him as the winningest basketball coach of all time till just recent. And uh, he must have liked the 101 club because it, it, it came to an organization today that's still in effect. Uh, are, are there very many living members of that first committee of 101? Yes, there is. There's um, – I don't know the names of all of them, but uh, we have three members that are in good standing with the club now that are uh, still in the club, and that would be a gentleman's name of Gene Oakley, David Trosper, and Rex Payne. And they were they're, they've been in the club 52 years. What, what was the first responsibilities once the club was formed and – how did the association with University of Kentucky actually take place? Was it just uh, ushering the games at Memorial Coliseum? Yes, it was. Uh, like I said, there was more members than it took to usher the games, so they would switch off. And then a few years later, in the late 60s or early 70s, we started ushering UK football games at Stahl Field. And that's where the one-on-one club started. When you go back to it, what what drove the members of the one-on-one club to join? I, I mean, it's one thing to put a dime in and send best wishes to the coach and the cats on the road or before a game, but, uh, you know, why did they all of a sudden want to take that next step? Was it that hard to get a ticket, or was they just want to be close to the program, a feel for the program? Oscar, I think it's a little of both. Um, the way I found out, uh, I'm 64. I got in a club uh, my first year out of college. And when I was a high school and junior high, my neighbor was a one-on-one-er. His name was Noah Baker. And Were you from here in Lexington? Here in Lexington. He's an IBMer. Uh, I don't know if he was an original one-on-one or not, but he, he, was in the, he always had that blue coat on, and I always used to ask Mr. Baker. Uh, his son and I were good friends growing up through our – junior high and high school years and I said Mr. Baker what do you do and he said I usher football and basketball so then he would bring along his son Brad and I to the UK uh, football games back then it was fairly easy to get in uh, football games at Stallfield and I'd watch what he did so I go off to college and get back in the late 70s and I ran into Mr. Baker saying hi to him, visiting him. He says, you know, we're taking memberships to that one-on-one club. He says, would you like to be a member? And I said, I sure would. I was single. And uh, the way you get into one-on-one club is two members in good standing, sign an application. Then it goes uh, before a membership committee. And sure and behold, the next year I got a letter from the president of one-on-one that I was a member, and that was 40 years ago this year. What 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 is it? Uh, 
how do you approach the season when you get to I mean, at one time it was just basketball, but now it seems like you guys are involved in just about every sport in some shape, form, or fashion. What uh, The 101 is, is ran by uh, executive committee, then 12 board members, and uh, it's a very organized organization, uh, more than people would think. Uh, we have approximately eight, me- eight general meetings each year, and usually there's a the head baseball coach will speak or assistant basketball coach or a bas- the head basketball coach, the football coach. The athletic directors have spoke to us. We've had ex-players speak at general meetings. Um, but we, before the football season starts, we always have a – it's called a general meeting, and we and we divide up in either the parking lot guys or the ticket takers or the ushers or whatever our responsibility is we have – uh, what we call section leaders, and then they're responsible for eight or ten people. We have a parking lot um, section leader. He's hand- he handles all the parking. Then we have individual parking lot section leaders for the blue, green, red, purple, all the parking lots. So uh, it's it's kind of like a small business, but you know we we're not paid. The committee on one one is strictly we donate our time. It's a volunteer organization. The university pays the one-on-one club for their services, and what we try to do is put that money back into athletics, whether it's helping with the craft center or helping with football stadium or helping with baseball stadium or the tennis stadium. We've made donations back to those facilities, really donating our love for the sport of Kentucky athletics going back into UK athletics. And... It's, it's like I said, it's strictly volunteer, and uh, you've got to want to do it to do it. You, you've got a wide range of, of guys in different age brackets. Uh, like you said, some coming in right after they get out of college. But then you, it seems like once you're in, you're almost there until the day you die. It, the old timers seem like, boy, they get just to make a charge out of it at age 60 or 65 as a 30-year-old does. That's true. I mean, we have all types of people in in the spectrum. We have lawyers. We have doctors. We have businessmen. We have guys that that work in the education field. We have uh, just – if you you name a a job description, there's 101ers that do that. And it's – I've made friends in a one-on-one. I've been in it 40 years now. I've I've got friends that I started out in a one-on-one with, and we're still friends now. You know, we we became friends. Uh, we care about each other's families. We check on each other, uh, and it's it's an organization that it's it's made of what the guys in it are, and uh, that's that's the way things are in life. But we've we it's got a lot of pride, a whole lot of pride. You can go around Rupp Arena where it's upper deck, lower deck, whatever, and it's it's amazing that the fans that come there, particularly the season ticket holders, they know every one on one by name. They know their family background, and by the same token, I, I know there's there's four elderly ladies that come to the game and have been coming to the games since back before Rupp Arena, and there's these two ushers and. They know all about each other's family, and if one of those don't show up, a couple of one-on-oneers are on the phone the next day wanting to know what happened. 
That's exactly right. Uh, you know, I can remember when I ushered in Section 39 at Rupp, this lady would bring us candy, ki- uh, chocolate kisses every game. And one day didn't she show up, and, you know, I missed that candy. And her husband said, well, she'll be here next game. So it's, you know, you build a relationship with the people in your section, and uh, it's, you know, we're known as the Blue Coats. Out-of-towners that don't come here every year, several have told me over the years, they've never been uh, treated as nice at any arena with ushers like they were at Rupp Arena, that it was so personal to them. I guess that's the kind of thing that keeps a one-on-one or keep coming back to. Yes, and, and we take pride in that. And uh, we have, uh, like I said, 12 board members and approximately 10 or 12 section leaders, and we keep everybody in check. I mean, before each game, when we check in, we want to make sure everybody's ties tied and uh, – you know, they look presentable because, you know, like Dr. Singletary used to tell us, uh, you guys are representing the, the University of Kentucky. So, make, you know, we make it that we are part of Big Blue Nation, and, and we take pride in that. I, I know you when you joined up, uh, you had already moved from the Coliseum to Rupp Arena. But you've been around the Coliseum uh, a lot. Uh, how How – long did it take for fans, for people you knew in a one-on-one that were there before you, before they were acclimated like, this is our new home now, rather than the Coliseum, which even to this day, there's some people say, I would move back tomorrow if I could. Well, I can remember as a boy, I'm a Lexingtonian and, and going to UK games. I, I'll never forget seeing Pete Maravich lighted up there and there one night. But the atmosphere at the Memorial Coliseum is, is something that people will never forget. I mean, it's just it was a just a great place to watch a basketball game. Everybody could see good and uh, lots and lots of wins there. I was in college when UK moved into Rupp Arena and then in the late 70s I joined a one-on-one club and I – just to hear stories that people just had to get used to because it was so big, and they said they'd never fill it up. Well, as people in the Big Blue Nation know, it's it's filled up most every game now, and uh, I think people's got used to it, and uh, uh, the history of Kentucky basketball continues. Once you got into the 80s and 90s, and everybody had resigned themselves to the fact that, you know, that last game in Memorial Coliseum, I think it was March of 1976, Kentucky was down like six, seven, eight points with a minute to go against the Mississippi State. They came had to win that game to get into the NIT. They came back and won it, went to the NIT, and won it. And then they moved into Rupp. But then along came 2008. And in 2008, they had a – ended up going to the NIT that not too many people were happy about. But they took it, and there was a conflict with Rupp Arena, and all of a sudden there was going to be at least one more game in Memorial Coliseum. UNLV, tell me how you remember that and what it was like to prepare for that game as a one-on-one member and going back in time. Well, I uh- – I had never ushered a game in, in the Coliseum then. Uh, 
we tried to make, I was on the executive board in, and we tried to make it where everyone could come and everyone could participate as 101ers because we felt that was very important for the morale, the 101 club. And that night, uh, it was it was just one of the best nights in, in UK basketball history. Uh, we all enjoyed it, uh, and we were thanked for what we did that night. And ironically, that was the last game that Billy Clyde Clesby coached at home. That's right. I didn't, I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, it was. And I don't think anyone will ever forget. I think it was Perry Stevenson's dunk in that game that just brought the house down. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yes. As, as you go forward and work games at Rupp Arena, you, you have how many people work in a single game now? All right, we have at this time we have 300 members in good standing. Uh, it takes approximately 190 to 210 guys to work do our work functions at Rupp Arena. We do everything from ushering uh, to assist with ticket takers, and uh, we give out programs. We sell programs. We have uh, guys that assist with people in the hallways to show them where the sections are to help them with the seats and then also we help man the gates as you come in Rupp Arena checking uh, through the uh, new guards or whatever you want to call them for people to uh, be checked for weapons or whatever it is and we've taken on that responsibility so uh, it, it takes we have 300 but we it takes two at least 200 to handle a basketball game Take me through a game day operation. Uh, let's say an 8 o'clock game on a Saturday night. Uh, what time do you guys arrive? Do you go through meetings beforehand? Just walk me through it. On game day of, of basketball, uh, it's mandatory that you're in your ushering position two hours before game time. We have a check-in facility outside Rupp Arena where we have a guy that checks everyone is coming to Rupp Arena that day in. Uh Usually there's two or three other guys there making sure guys are in their proper uniform. If there's anything that we need to know, the section leaders will be informed of it to let your people in your section know whether there's something different going on tonight or if it's senior night, how that's going to happen, or if it's a special guest. Then we go to our sections after uh, you check in at the 101 uh, table, and we get in our sections and, and we – Usually, each section leader will talk to their uh, members, and uh, you make if someone's not there, then you have to get a substitute for them or move people around. You know, I handle the floor, so what we have to do is make sure the floor's covered, credentials are right, people that's on the floor, uh, tickets are people are sitting in the proper tickets uh, seats, and post game we try to stay until people are settled for the. Uh, radio show, and then once that's done, uh, the ushers are excused to leave. I know the ushers are very, very uh, polite, helpful, personable with fans coming into the games, but there are many games where you see quite a large number of empty seats in the lower arena throughout most of the first half, and then they seem to fill up. Uh, how does that work? as far as people from the upper deck sort of just moseying down this game long. I don't think too many people drive up to the game 30 minutes late to get into the game as far as 
late arrivals. I would agree with that. Uh, we try to make sure that every person that has a ticket is sitting in their proper seat. Uh, there's no written rule or uh, agreement with 101 and UK or anything says that you know we need to fill the lower arena. But somehow the Blue Blue Nation knows how to work their way around the aisles and work their way around Rupp Arena, and and, and you know very seldom do you see a lower arena seat after probably the 10 minute mark or the six minute mark of the first half that's empty. So we try to keep people in their proper seats and, you know, people pay a lot of money to attend UK basketball games now. And uh, the last thing we want is uh, somebody to come in and in their seat, somebody's in their seats and have to ask somebody to move, but it happens. And we, we try to do it in the right way. And uh, it's, there seems so, to not be any major complaints that I hear of as far as no, uh, you know I've been around in a lower arena for you know forty years and uh, I've had very few complaints. Uh, had some language issues or some alcohol issues, but uh, far as seatings, uh, it's it's gone fairly smooth. When you prepare for a game, you you've got so many different people to help out visiting teams when they come in the rupp arena a little bit different for a conference team a lot of those people been here before but non-conference in particular it's usually their first time in there how do you assign your 101 people say with a team or with a coach uh or handling say the referees for the game uh work me how you assign people that and do you profile your members to make sure that Johnny here's got a good attitude, so he's going to be easy to handle a disgruntled coach, things like that. I can just tell you on my perspective, I'm the section leader for the floor, the locker rooms, the officials' locker room, and the blue-white room, or UK blue-white room. And one of the things I've asked the past presidents, and I've been section leader on the floor for approximately 25 years, is that please, as people leave the club, or if they're sick, or if they get out of the club for whatever reason, and they're far and few between because the guys I have on the floor have been there almost as long as I have or longer. And I asked uh, – I'm a local businessman. I'm in sales, so you know I deal with people every day. And I want people that are working for me on the Florida Rupp Arena to have the personality to deal with obnoxious people and – know when to keep your mouth shut and, and know when to talk. And uh, so we've assigned we have a we have a one on one that's assigned to the officials and when the officials get to the arena, he's got a key fob to their door. He lets them in their door of their dressing room. He follows them to the court. He follows them back through the court with, with security. But he's responsible for them. I go back and see him every game and if I happen to be there when the officials are coming in, going out, or going to the floor, they call him by name. And he knows Tony Wise. He knows all the officials in the SEC, and they all know him. If they want heating pads, if they want ice, if they want drinks, I mean, usually everything's UK is very good about supplying what they need for those officials. And uh, But they know him. They know that they call him by name, and it's, you know, as long as he wants to do it, he's going to be working for me. And then we, we have uh, 
the three or four guys behind the visitor's bench. They've been in the club for many years, and they usually – if it's a visiting team pre-conference, everybody's wanting pitchers. Everybody's wanting to go on the floor. Everybody's wanting to know this. Uh, and we try to accommodate them. We try to let them get out on the edge of the floor. We're not supposed to let everybody on the floor to take pictures, but pre-game early, two hours, two and a, uh, hour and a half before the game, we try to accommodate them, and they're always gracious. Uh, we always we have a one on one or that's assigned to the visiting team and meets them at the back door, and we we lead them through the back ways of Rupp Arena to their locker room. Then we give them their manager, or whoever it is, their key to their locker room. Uh, they have responsible for it. Then post game, a one on one or will will take that key back, and uh, in in most cases, whether they win or lose, they're very graceful of how we've made the game and the game experience good to them. We try to accommodate visiting athletic directors. They have seats right beside their visitor's bench, and they ask questions. If it's Like I said, if they're new, they don't know their way around back through the press and all that, and we try to accommodate them the best we can. Now, the SEC teams, a lot of the SEC ADs now are ex-UK <laughs> assistant ADs, so they know their way around just as good as we do. So, But it's always good to see them and – Good to talk old stories with them and uh, congratulate them on how they've moved up the SEC corporate ladder, and uh, they'll never forget where they come from, I promise you. What kind of radio communication do you have among yourselves? All section leaders carry radios. The U.K. game staff that works for you, that works for Mitch can communicate with the one-on-oneers, whether it's uh, trying to keep flash bulbs out of the, the arena. You know, they're concerned about uh, the basketball players getting hurt and it blinded them and, and something happened to them or affecting the game. So uh, we're, we're trying to talk on the radio and, and keep that done. Uh, obviously, there's no one supposed to set any aisles, but people kind of bend the rules not very often. And we, if I'm on the visitor side and somebody's on the, home, on the opposite side of the arena and I see somebody in the aisle that tries to sit there after a halftime or something, I can radio to a guy and say, listen, you got a guy in the aisle over there. Let's get him out. And we didn't used to have that years ago, but it, since uh, really since the Mr. Barnhart area, he's he's raised the technology, and uh, they furnish us with two-way radios for all football and basketball. You you have another security group of people there that works on behalf of Rupp Arena that are there. Have you all been trained, and is it in coordination with the Rupp Arena security on how you would evacuate Rupp Arena should there be a need for that? Yes, we do. Uh, we work very closely with uh, Mr. Owen and Carl and his staff, and uh, we have a meeting pre-basketball pre season every year. We try to make it mandatory for all one-on-oneers to attend, and uh, we talk about evacuation and uh, – whether it's a minor evacuation or a serious evacuation. Uh, the U.K. police are there. The city police are there. The Rupp Arena staff are there. And we discuss if, if there's a, for better words, if there's a bomb scare and they feel it's re- the, the, pow- the powers that be feel like that there's a need to evacuation, section leaders know where to send their people to get out of the arena. So, yes, and we do it every year. I know we think it's monotonous, but, you know, Lord and behold, if it happened, uh, I think we would be prepared to do it. And Rep Arena is very good about 
given us details. They put it in writing, and uh, we take it serious. You're you're the first people that anyone in rope would come in contact with. Uh, heaven forbid someone fall, sprain their ankle, tumble down the steps or anything. How do how do you all react to that, and, and what procedure do do you go to to get them immediate help? By radio, uh, we have the uh, the uh, emergency people's uh, dial on our radio system. We can say we need emergency help in section two fourteen row H. They'll they'll be on their way. Same as if it's a spill, if somebody uh, spills drinks or anything in the in the arena, we try to get it cleaned up when it happens. Uh, the last thing we want is someone to fall and get hurt and and things like that. So. Uh, and, and we're very uh, personable with the people. We try to help them. I mean, there's been some falls that were up in the past, but I think it's been handled very properly, and uh, people's got the help they need it very quickly. Let's talk a little bit about Rupp Arena, its beginning, and some people that that has been very influential in helping the tradition continue to be what it has been for many years, and people that you've worked with at UK uh, – Let's start out with Tom Minner and Bill Owen, the first two executive directors. Bill, the current one. I know both those men very well. I got to know Tom Minner quite well. Played a little golf with him in functions. Very personable guy. Bill Owen, who's been there probably as long as I have. I've been there 40 years, so I know it's been a long time. And uh, uh, Bill runs a good ship. I've never heard him raise his voice. I've been in a lot of meetings with him. I've been all around him when NCAA tournaments or the Final Four or whatever it is, and he just he's very organized. Uh, he must be a good guy to work for because people that work for him have stayed with him. Uh, a lady that I went to high school with started there after high school, and she re- just retired there as uh, one of the secretaries in the engineering department. And so uh, – He's a very organized guy that uh, takes his job very serious and uh, pretty not a no-nonsense guy, but he's very personable and very easy to talk to Good in good times or bad, and we've talked on both of those. Coming around to UK, when you got back here, I think Cliff Hagen was the athletics director and um, Dr. Otis Singletary was president. How was it working with those two individuals? Both those gentlemen, and I mean gentlemen, were pro 101 guys. They, I think they actually seen, not that others haven't, but I think they actually seen that the 101 club was an asset to the athletic program. I can remember being in executive meetings. You know, things go wrong from time to time, and, and the way you deal with things that go wrong is, is – is how you deal with them. So if it's something bad happened, we'd sit down and talk about it. Dr. Singletary and Cliff, if they had a problem with the basketball arena or if they had a problem at a football stadium or something, they would pass it down and let the one-on-one club deal with their business. And a lot of people in today's times try to micromanage you. And my personal opinion, micromanaging doesn't work. And if, if you'll give the person that's in charge – of the people below you, what's wrong, and give them the opportunity to fix it, it, the morale of your organization, I think, will succeed a lot better than just 
trying to micromanage something. And both of those gentlemen did that. Cliff always thanked us when he came to his seat. Dr. Singletary always did. Even after both of those people retired, they always were class gentlemen, best way to say it. And then always thanked us for what we did and how we did it. As time rolled along, Rupp Arena was a blessing for Kentucky because they got a facility that was built at someone else's expense, which gave them a little bit more revenue in athletics. Although in the late 70s, I think the budget was something like a little under $4 million, and today it's like $140 million. But when you got into the TV aspect of it, uh, it was about the time Mitch Barnhart comes along. Back in, I guess, what, 2002, 2003. Things changed then, the whole campus, particularly athletic facilities, have just exploded. How much did you all have to adjust with all these extra duties coming in baseball, uh, track, tennis, all these new facilities that are on campus today? Uh, back in. 1980, uh, Van Florence took over the Committee of 101 as president. I had just got into the club a few years earlier. All of a sudden, Van's talking about, well, we're going to help out with the baseball team. We're, uh, Keith Madison was trying to raise money to redo his stadium. Uh, we're going to help him out selling signs in his outfield. Or we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And people kind of, well, we're basketball guys. Well, then we would help out. At, at the football games, uh, if the track had a big uh, track ma- uh, track meet, we would help usher or park cars and do things like that. And as UK athletics grew, the committee of one on one club grew. I can remember when we when the Commonwealth Stadium expanded, and we had two hundred members, and we didn't have enough members to usher, ticket take, park, do our responsibilities. And UK was problem solving. So what they did, because we kind of caught, got caught with our pants down a little bit in that we didn't have enough people to handle all the positions. So they problem solved and brought some people in from Andy Frame or other organizations to help ticket take. So one on oneers didn't do the ticket taking. We did ushering, parking lot, other responsibilities. Well, the next year, UK came to us and said, you know, do we want to do the same thing or let's increase your membership? So what we did is we went from 200 members to 300 members because they had enough confidence in us that we would bring in the quality of people to handle the responsibilities that they wanted. And it's worked out fine. Uh, but for one year, it was some one-on-oneers and some other people's doing things. But it, since then, we've got 300 strong members and everything's worked out great. What's it been like to work with Mitch Barnhart these last 15, 16 years, who now pretty much is the dean of SEC athletic directors? Mitch is a he's a get down to work guy. I mean, he's uh, he he means business when he when he speaks. I respect him for that. He doesn't play favorites. One thing I like about Mitch and I respect about him was that when he came here, he said he wanted to make every program respectable, and bring the level of it up. He had a saying for it, and I don't remember that now, and I apologize for that. But if you think about what he's done in hiring, I'm, I'm going to call them minor sports. Uh, Olympic which, sports. 
pardon me, Olympic, Olympic sports. sports. There you go. Uh, but you look at the hires that he's made in ladies in volleyball, in ladies basketball, in baseball, in the track and field. Look at what it's doing now in tennis, in golf, in soccer. I mean, he's been a man of his word. He's he's put the resources into it. Uh, I know we've got a, a nice football facility now, but you know we've we're, we've got one of the best. I was talking to Doug Flynn about the baseball facility the other night, and he said, "Danny, I'm going to tell you, it's as nice as any major league baseball park underneath." So it's something we need to be proud of and support the baseball program, soccer facility, our ladies' softball facility, our track and field. He just spent a bunch of money over there, and it's my understanding tennis is next, and I'm I'm not in that circle, but it's my understanding. So Mitch has is, is been mentors to many gentlemen that's came here or ladies that's came here that's moved on to athletic directors, I think, at Florida and at Alabama. And I, I think it's Arizona or Arizona State at Oregon. His assistants have uh, left here and done well and moved up the corporate ladder. So you've got to admire how what an organization he's put together and how organized he is. And uh, I would think as long as Mitch is here, this Big Blue Nation is in good hands and leadership. Now, you were speaking of the former assistant 80s who's moving on up Florida, Mississippi State, uh, uh, Alabama. Oregon, Alabama. Uh, another man that's just a matter of time, Dwayne Peavy. I think Dwayne's going to choose what he wants to do for the way I hear it. Uh, He's a great guy to work with. He he's the the guy that we need to check with if, if there's issues or things going on now, and uh, he handles them the way they ought to be handled. And uh, I think Dwayne's happy here. I couldn't. I don't. I, I understand that. I mean, I'm a businessman, and I've had chances to move to other cities around this country, and I've chose not to, and chose to raise my family in in Lexington. And I'm a Lexingtonian, and uh, maybe maybe Dwayne's got that. Lexingtonian big blue blood in him. I don't know, but if he chooses to go somewhere else, he'll do well wherever it is. And uh, But I hope he stays, but I'll wish him well. We've had some so successful that they've stayed here their entire career. Now we're losing some to retirement. I've got a couple here. Let's start out with Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley, is uh, he got a tough job. Uh, I don't know if I can handle getting kids to – do their homework every night. Uh, I didn't have. I wasn't very successful at that in college. I mean, graduated and all that. But uh, I know when I played college sports, I played baseball, and uh, we didn't have to go to uh, the Cats or what they call it now. Uh, it was our responsibility to do it. But he's got. He's UK has put the resources into it, which is a, a again another feather in Mr. Barnhart's hat to. Get to keep the kids eligible, get their grade average up. I know the baseball coach spoke at the 101 club here last month, uh, Mitch Minjone. If you've not heard him speak, you need to. You need to have him out to your organization because, one, he'll motivate you to do the right thing at the right time. And, two, his his kids, I think, had a 3.2 grade point average, and that's, in t- that's the entire team. So – I'm sure they're going to Cats. I'm sure he makes them go to the Cats. Uh, but, you know, the Cats program had something to do with that. And, and Bob Bradley has led that, I think, from its infetition. And hats off to him. And I know he just retired, and I wish him well. 
another guy who probably has got his finger in the wet cement of everything in athletics on this campus the last 15, 20 years, uh, our good buddy Russ Pair. Uh, there's not a better man at UK than Russ Pair. Uh, I know uh, when I was running one-on-one club for a few years and, and when Van Florence got sick, uh, or was under the weather, I guess, and Russ and I, were we spent quite a bit of time together on what we need to do and how we need to do it and can we do this and should we do that. And there was never, there was not a better guy that uh, to deal with at the university than Russ Pear. I mean, he was – he would ask for your opinion. He would listen to it. Didn't mean he had to agree with it, but he would ask for it. And uh, he was very respectful, and uh, he took on a lot of responsibilities over there, building the football stadium, building the baseball stadium, track and field, uh, and probably other things. I'm sure he built the, the girls' softball and the men's soccer stadium or the soccer stadiums. And uh, I don't know if he had an engineering background or not, but if he didn't, he did a great job without one because the facilities we have now are are as I travel around and go to the away games, they're they're second to none. And he's he's the one that's overseen almost all of those. Some some names over the years, uh Gene DiFilippo, who came into Kentucky back in the late eighties. I know he, he he's a Vandy guy, uh from what I can remember. And uh he's a funny guy. He was a uh, I think he. I think his college roommate at one time was Phil Fulmer, as a graduate student at Tennessee. Well, I didn't realize that, but he he was good to work with. He was always funny. He 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 made things fun, whether you wanted to do them or not. He'd talk in. Well, can you one on one club help with this, or can we help? Oh, we don't want to do that, Genie. Come on, let's go. We make it fun. So we would do things and and make it fun. Uh, you know, not many one on oneers would want to park cars at the. UK baseball game. Well, we did it a few years, and we tried to make it fun for everybody. He'd, he'd furnish some food, or he'd take hot chocolate out there because it'd be cold. And uh, so, but Gene was—he's a great guy, and uh, I know he went on to be athletic director. I think at Boston College. I think was that right? Correct. Yeah, and actually, uh, actually he was at Boston College, and uh, there was one other place he was. Uh, I, uh, I think he was at Villanova. That's what I was getting ready to say, Villanova. And now his son is a one of the head offensive coordinators i think he's for the broncos now and he, he and he, i think he's with cleveland for a while but his son is is into pro football chris cameron great guy to work with uh one of the first guys i dealt with in sports information at uk and he moved after he was here i think he was here with eddie is that right or or was it i think he was Joe here B? with uh, J- uh with um, eddie and i think he was here early on with rick hard worker I know he went on to work for the uh, SEC. Great guy, very organized, had a lot of faith in this one-on-oneers. Back when he was sports information director, something we don't do now, but we did then, is we handled the UK locker room. We would have a list of who comes and goes and gets in and out of the UK locker room. Back then, it wasn't as media savvy as it now, and so Chris just he the guys that. There was two or three guys that we had on UK locker room back in the hallways. He he would trust them. He would go to them and saying that so and so's coming tonight, or this recruit and his mom and dad are coming tonight, and you know, they're going to be in the locker room pregame. And he, he did it by word of mouth. He trusted our guys to do it, and uh, I can't think of one time we ever let him down. I never had a sideways conversation with him or heard got in trouble for 
one of our guys doing something that wasn't supposed to be done. You know, that there was a time, and I guess it's still this way, it's sort of a little bit like Vegas with your 101ers when they are certainly privy or, or close enough to hear something maybe going on in a locker room at halftime or whatever, what you hear in there stays in there. It did, and that was a that was a rule of thumb of the guys that, that worked back in the back hallways. There was three of them there that, that were there for many years, and uh, that was one of the golden rules. If you go out and tell your buddies and it gets in the paper or gets on the radio shows or uh, rumors that happened that aren't true, that it could have started there, that uh, you're not going to be there anymore, and that's not what I Big Blue Nation's ran, and, and, and we're not going to do it. And never had that issue that I can remember. Brooks Downing. Great guy to work with. A good another pro one on one guy. He uh had a job to do. He wanted to get it done. Uh liked to have fun. Uh was easy easy to work with, would tell you a joke, uh very professional. Uh knew he was climbing the ladder. Knew, you know, I think he came from the KSHAA and came to work for us or went through the and that what happened. Yeah. And uh is now is a very He's the one that brought the PGA golf tournament to Lexington here last year. So, and is he still pro one on one? When he got that pro golf tournament approved to be in Lexington last summer, one of the first things he did he he come up to me at a basketball game. He said, "Danny, can you all help uh, with manpower for the golf tournament?" And you know that speaks volumes in what he thought of the one on one club, because obviously. If, if he didn't have respect for us, he wouldn't be asking for manpower help. He could find it other organizations or hire it out. So, but he's a very organized guy. He 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 knew what he wanted to do, and he's and he's done it. I'm very proud of him. I've known him for many years. A link from the past, being Sim Newton's son, to the current, who came here early on with John Calipari, Martin Newton. Martin Newton is a good guy. He came here, worked for the university. And then, as he moved up the corporate ladder, he he got in. He worked his basketball operations for Tubby, I believe. He started with Tubby, and then he was with Billy in basketball operations. Uh, was easy to work with. Again, we handled the the locker room door when he uh, was in basketball operations, and he was good to work with. You always knew what where he came from, what he was thinking, and uh, he was a good guy to work with. The late Frank Ham. Didn't know him very well. There's an award for him they give out every year. The little bit that I was around him, he was always nice, uh, always asking if he could do this or that, where, you know, he'd, he'd been here twice as long as I had, and I, I would let him do – I would try to accommodate him the best I could. He was, he was always very personable and professional with me. Walt McCombs. Walt McCombs, one of the trainers – for uh, UK basketball, great guy. I think he's still working at UK. Or, I, he retired last year. Okay, uh, I know he left uh, UK basketball. I think after Rick, he, he left after Eddie. After yeah, after Eddie. That's right. And uh, he's a great guy to be around. He, he's if we go on road trips to to the games, he'd always come up to her room and visit with us. And him, and Mr. Kitely, and uh, he was just great guy to. To be around and uh, all the all the players loved him. I mean, he, he they would always just he would they'd be around him and and I know he went into minor sports and I'd see him at UK baseball or uh, 
other minor sports games, and uh, he was always good to see you, and he always come up and said hi to you. Now to some people really, really close to you, and we'll start with Van Florence. Van Florence, he, he's my big brother. Uh, got to know him back in uh, the 80s. Uh, I was playing pro softball for a team called the Lexington Stallions back in that day. I was out, just got out of college baseball, and uh, the guys that owned it invited me to play, and, and Van – and I had, had friended uh, the Reardon family, Donnie Reardon and Big Don Reardon. Don, Big Don was a general manager and a name that a lot of you people may know. Ted Stepien owned the Lexington Stallions. So I was fortunate enough to play for him. And Donnie and I were high school and teammates and friends and still personal friends to this day and will be. And Van and Donnie were friends. So – Van and, and Donnie and I became friends, and we all became very good friends, or Van and I did. And Van said, you just got into the one-on-one club. And I wasn't married then yet. And uh, so Van took an interest in me and, and kind of, you know, if I did what he wanted me to do and helped him out with this and that in the one-on-one club, I kept started moving up the corporate ladder with the one-on-one club, which I enjoyed doing. Uh, I'm a very sports-oriented person. And as more responsibilities Van brought to the one-on-one club, whether it be helping with UK baseball or helping put on functions. Van ran, as most people know, the golf tournament for the Rick Patino, Daniel Patino organization. We ran that tournament during Rick's tenure here and raised a lot of money. We brought a lot of people in town of Rick's friends out of town that put money into the program. And, Van would go out, deal with corporate sponsors for that tournament, whether it be Kroger or Coca-Cola or Dell Computers or – I know I'm leaving someone out and I'm not, I don't mean to, but uh, local organizations, whether it be hospitals or Tubby's Clubhouse, Van ran that. Uh, Van was a very, very giving person. Uh, he had a real job, though, that most people didn't really realize at, at IBM and Lexmark, but – he was very fortunate in that he had earned time to take off to do the things for the one-on-one club. And I know personally that he probably worked as many hours for the one-on-one club during his tenure at, at, at as the president, because I was by his side most of the times, that he did at his regular job. But he held his job down and retired with honors at, at, at uh, Lexmart, IBM, then Lexmart. But Van was one of the most organized people I ever came involved with. He he had a plan. He wrote it down. He knew the people. He wanted to do it. If you wanted to do it with him, he'd take you along for the ride. If you didn't, he'd find somebody else to do it. He was not going to take no for an answer on whether it's helping the basketball program. You know, as a lot of people know, uh, Rick took him under his arm rick spoke at his funeral matter of fact but he invited van on he took van on the team plane he thought so much of van and the one-on-one rick did one-on-one club that there was a place on the team plane for van florence when rick was coach and when tubby was coach so he he's i think about him often uh he he he's he'll always be fond to me bill kiley there's only one spent a lot of time with Bill doing things. Uh, I'm in the sound communications business. Bill would want a portable sound system. 
that Rick said he needed in basketball practice because he'd be so hoarse the day after games. And he'd call me and he'd say, Danny, he called me Danny Boy. He said, Danny Boy, I, I got to have one of those PA systems that Rick can holler at the boys. I said, okay. So I got him one. He goes, well, I need two. And I said, well, you can't use but one at once. He goes, well, Rick will destroy one in the first week. He said, get me two. And then every two weeks he would call me, I need another one. So Rick would uh, – but anyway, that was Bill. He always organized. He, uh, I think he used to be a mail carrier for the Coliseum, and that's how he got started at UK and became a part-time equipment manager. And by the time he left, uh, I think everybody in the country knew who Bill Cotley was. Everybody in Big Blue Nation did. And uh, very organized. Uh, there was a saying in his office that uh, non-planning on your behalf is not an emergency on mine. And every basketball player would see that when they would walk into his office every day. I know of many stories that the players would get their butts chewed in practice or they'd play bad in a game, and whether it be, I guess, Joe B or Rick or Tubby or whomever it was, the coach at that time, the kids would feel so bad about themselves where they would end up in is Bill Kitely's office. He was always the good cop. He was the good cop. He would build them back up, and and the players loved him. I, I cannot think of one player or one person that I've met through my 40 years in 101 and 40 years of being around Langston that's got one thing to say about – one mad, bad thing to say about Bill Kitely. He was always positive. He's an ex-Marine. He didn't put up with any BS. He didn't put up with any not doing your job. I know he told me Anton Walker used to want a new pair of shoes every day, and he, you know, he said he just had to finally tell him, Anton, they don't, they don't, I don't have any more in your size. But he, it just drove Bill nuts that you didn't need a new pair of shoes every day. But he, he, you know, it was kind of hard to tell the pre bananas that stuff. Looking back, you were always more closely associated with basketball, just by the nature of your position and everything. But just tell me, just in a line or two, what you remember from the eras of these different coaches, starting out first with Joe B. Hall. I remember Joe B. Hall and Dale Brown battling. I mean, that was that was always a battle. And uh, Jack Givens and I went to high school together. I was a year older than him. And uh, Jack used to tell me that he was Joe B.'s whipping boy. And – he was. He's told me stories about going to Mississippi State and going to Ole Miss and and going to Florida and just, you know, it was unbearable. And Coach Hall would, you know, keep them together. And Dickie Parsons, you know, would try to keep them together and try to keep their sanity to them. When Joe B would just wear them out when things when the chips were down. And speaking of Joe B and Dale, the infamous time that that happened that you're talking about is. When Kentucky lost the LSU to five subs in overtime in '78, the year they were, they won it, and the team flew up to uh, to Memphis and bust down to Oxford on a Sunday morning for the Monday night Ole Miss game. They played on Saturday Monday nights, and on the way down from Memphis to Oxford, Joe gave a story to a, a Courier Journal reporter. And he was really upset with two certain players who didn't have a very thick skin. So he just turned loose on Roby and Givens and called them gutless in the headlines the next morning's paper. 
when he was really directed at somebody else. So Jack was right, and he and Roby were the two guys that had tough skin. So if he wanted to get on Macy or if he wanted to get on Scheidler or somebody. Phillips or somebody. Yeah, he'd take it out on them. Yeah, Jack. And, of course, they, that particular night at Ole Miss, he made something like 27 substitutions in the first half. They won by eight or nine or something. They were never going to lose. But it was just like you guys are still paying for Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. Jack used to tell me story. He and I are high school friends, and we 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 still play an alumni golf tournament the first Sunday in August every year uh, for the Brown Station Alumni Association. And Jack will some some years he'll he'll tell stories about that, and they're good to hear. But uh, Jack has great respect for Coach Hall. I don't mean any disrespect there. He he taught Jack how to be a man, and uh, he respects him to this day. What do you remember from the from the uh, Eddie Sutton era? I remember uh, his first or second team was probably one of the best group of athletes that, that I'd ever seen here at UK. I mean, I mean, absolutely loaded. Uh, his first year was Roger Harden, Kenny Walker, and Winston Bennett. Yeah, yeah, that group, and they and they. I just thought they were so good. And Eddie, back then, we could go to practices every now and then. One on one club would get invited, and we'd go. And Coach Sutton teach that defense like no other man that I've, I've seen teach it. And, uh, I mean, he just – if you didn't play defense, you weren't going to play. And uh, and then he got athletes. I mean, and then they started scoring points and playing defense. So, I mean, uh, Eddie was a great teacher of the game. He was always good to one-on-one. He lived down the road from me. I lived out in Nicholsville, and he lived right down the road from me back then, and I'd pass him from time to time. But he's he was always – had a smile on his face, and he always said hello, how you doing? And uh, Loved his popcorn. He loved his popcorn. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's – And he's a finalist, I think, this coming week or two for induction into the Nate Smith Basketball Hall of Fame I saw yesterday. Well, he deserves it. He's uh, he's taught a lot of young men to, to be men, and he's won a lot of basketball games. The Rick Pitino era, what do you remember from that? Coach Perdino kind of changed Big Blue Nation. Uh, I know when he came in, we were we were way down, and I can remember him saying, "Hold on to your tickets because they're going to be as valuable as gold one of these days." And he honored that promise. His first year here, he he pushed those boys hard, and uh, I know from personal experience, not doing it but seeing it, that Rick, I think he was motivated by failure. He was a great motivator. I had the privilege of being in his locker room a few times for pregame talks, and he was his motivational speeches were just so good. He didn't put up with non-effort. He pushed in practice the things that he put those boys through within reason. But, I mean, th- there was continuous motion in, in practice. So he got them in shape. He hired a strength coach, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. He's still First here. First one, Rock he, Oliver. Yeah, Rock Oliver that just pushed them boys hard but they took no prisoners and it showed i mean the you you never seen a uk basketball team in a game and i don't if it was 40 minutes against arkansas or whoever that running gunned we played with them and you could see you know we i think we beat arkansas a few times late in the game because i think we were in better shape than they were and uh i think um, i watched this one night run shaquille o'neal because till he couldn't breathe here and we beat him that was one of the best games I've ever seen at Rupp Arena. But Rick was organized. Rick knew where he was going. Rick knew what he wanted to do. Uh, he had the contacts in the NBA, which I think 
helped bring a lot of athletes here. I think his 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 ninety six team may have been the best team I've ever seen on uh, the basketball court. Maybe our two thousand twelve team, but that was two of the best. Toby Smith here. Toby's a good friend. Always will be. Uh, great friend of one on one club. Uh, had. Complete confidence into one-on-one. If he needed something done or if he needed a favor uh, around town or I need so I need to do this at my house or I need this done or do you know who does this? Uh, he's a great guy. He's a uh, hard-nosed basketball coach. Uh, obviously won a national championship in 98. Uh, and he, very personable, cared for the community, as most of you all know, started Tubby's Clubhouse, uh, teaching uh, needy kids how to use a computer. Uh, Van Florence, again, speaking of Van, uh, dealt with Dell computers to donate computers to all uh, students that came to Tubby's Clubhouse after school in downtown Lexington. These kids would learn how to use a computer and their test at the end, and they fed these kids every night. Van would set up local restaurants or local fast fooders to bring food into them to make sure they got a meal at night. One of the tests they did at the end to graduate from Toby's Clubhouse was they show you how to take the computer within reason apart, and if they could put it back together, they got to take that computer home. And it motivated these young 8- to 14-year-old kids, and I may be wrong in age, but I'm close, to do that, and, and most of these kids didn't have computers at home back then. They didn't It isn't like it is today. So, and then as these computers went home, Dell uh, would ship new computers back uh, to us for these kids to use. And you know, Tubby cared about that. He invited the one-on-one club officers and board members to his Christmas party every year. Most coaches didn't do that, but I thought it was very. He that's how much he thought of the one-on-one club. Him and him and Donna did that. The Billy Clyde Gillespie era didn't have a lot of personal relationship with uh, Coach Gillespie. He was kind of man, his own man. You know, I think he knew a lot about basketball. I think he knew a lot about teaching basketball. I don't know if th- he was ready for this job when he took it. Not saying he's not a good person or anything like that. I just said, I just think the shoe didn't fit. The John Calipari era. Coach Calipari. Uh, was hired at the right time for this era of basketball. I think Mitch Barnhart knew the man he wanted. Uh, he went out and got him, and, and Coach Calipari is, is learned as he's been here and bloomed into a CEO of U.K. basketball. About everything he says, I mean, is the way it needs to be said, whether it's whether you want to hear it or not, it's the way it needs to be said, whether you know he believes in his team is ready to go. I mean, and I know that's what coaches do. I play college sports, but – He's developed these kids. He, it's his way or the highway, the way I hear it in practice, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, it's his responsibilities to get the players that he wants, and when he gets them here, obviously he wants to get them to the NBA. His track record speaks for that. But also the way I hear it is if you don't want to do it in practice, there's somebody there waiting to take your spot, and I think that's the best position a coach can be in. If he's got the, the power to the bench to motivate you, it works well for him, and right now he has that, and he's developed these kids, and you know they're 
He's he's done a great job this year, and he's done a great job in past years. I mean, the talent that he's brought to this university, it's the one-and-done time. I don't care what they say about Duke. He's the one-and-done king. 43 years old now, Rupp Arena. You just come off of a, a big game against Tennessee this past weekend. Another big game coming up Saturday at home against Auburn. Will students ever break the record and storm the court at Rupp Arena because it's never been done before in history if there is a big game? Oscar, I don't think so. Uh, I would like to see it happen. I mean, for one-on-one's sake, I I don't want to see it happen. Uh, And a little selfish in that because, you know, we can – we can put that in our hat, feather in our hat. But Carl Hall and Bill Owen and uh, Kevin and the people at UK, Mitch, you know, Dwayne Peavy, uh, they're on top of it. I mean, they've got to play in every game. And big games, there's there's more police down there than, than not bigger games. And I just don't see with the barriers where they're at, uh, the eruption zone post game is is really protected from getting on the floor, uh, so I don't think so. But you know, you, you never. I guess you never say never. But uh, you know, with the Rupp Arena management and UK management, and then passing it down to one on one or so, I I don't see it happening. The best. UK game you've ever witnessed at Rupp Arena. I would say the best game ever at Rupp Arena, but that probably goes to Villanova and Georgetown. So the best UK game you witnessed at Rupp Arena? There'd be two of them. Uh, one would be David Robinson when he came here and, and we beat him on Super Bowl Sunday. That was one of the best games I've ever seen in Rupp Arena. And, and then when Rick's second year – we beat Shaquille O'Neal and uh, uh, the Jackson kid. I can't remember his Chris first name. Jackson. Chris Jackson. And it, uh, Reggie Hansen and that group just battled him and battled him. Reggie, I can remember Reggie just battling, battling, battling. And upsetting. I got an 11 by 14 photo of Darren Fieldhouse blocking Shaquille O'Neal's shot. Uh, I've got to give that to Darren someday because his grandkids will never believe that. that. Those two games come to mind. I mean, obviously the night Tayshawn Prince went off and scored all his three-pointers against Carolina was was a big game. Uh, we've had some battles with Arkansas here and, and uh, 40 minutes of hell, and you know we held our own with them. And that, those uh, Arkansas-UK battles back in those days were just – Great basketball. Best environment for one game. When Arkansas came in here and, and uh, talking about their 40 minutes of hell, that we weren't going to back down. Best opponent you've all ever seen play UK at Rupp Arena? The Indiana team, uh, when Bobby Knight came in here uh, with Offert and the game at Offert couldn't play, that was that was a good game. That was a good opponent. Kansas has been in here a few times when, we, when uh, the Blur beat them. That was a pretty good Kansas team. Billy Donovan's Florida teams, I didn't come to mind, but that would be the best team when they, the second year, their second championship year. Best opposing player? David Robinson, I would think. Who's that? 
easiest visiting coach for the 101 to work with over the past 40 years at Rupp Arena? Is there one that stands out? You know, Roy Williams wasn't bad. You know, people don't want, want, want to think that, but he's a great guy. Uh, a quick Roy Williams uh, story is back when he was the coach at, at uh, Kansas, I was the host for the uh, NCAA regional here, and they were in it, and uh, I was Kansas's host. So I, when they arrived in town, I, I took them to the hotel. I checked in a hotel with them. Uh, stayed in the hotel with him. We were at the uh, Hilton on Nicholsville Road, uh, Hilton Suites. I had a room in the hotel and stayed with them all through the week. They played, uh, I think they played Thursday, Saturday. So I picked them up on a Tuesday night. Took them to restaurants, movies, wherever they, you know, their team wanted to do. And they won their first game on Thursday. Coach Williams wanted to, he had private practice at Rupp the uh, Friday morning and he said Danny I, I need a favor I said well, what is it coach and he said after practice we're going to go over to the Lexington Cemetery and I want you to show me Adolph Rupp's grave and I want you to talk about it. Coach Rupp a little bit because him and um, Mr. Iba were you know was very close and he said then I'll talk about Mr. Iba to my team and I said well coach I'd be happy to do that so after practice, we got on the team bus, and it was it was a day about 35, 40 degrees. And kids were in their sweats and still sweaty. I mean, he, he ran a pretty tough practice for the day before go to the Final Four. And uh, we went over there, and I talked about Coach Rupp and when he was coaching U.K. basketball and how many years he coached. I did, I did my homework. And afterwards, he, he did his spill. And I'll never forget this. He, he says, now, now boys – Y'all need to get back on the bus, and you're going to go back with uh, Mr. Moore here and and the trainers. And he says, the coaches are with me. Now, they were at the Lexington Cemetery. We were staying at the Hilton Suites. He and the three assistant coaches jogged from the Lexington Cemetery to the other side of New Circle Road on Nicholsville Road back to the hotel. Now, I don't know. How many people are familiar with Lexington? But most of that's uphill. So he meant business. Didn't a coach? Didn't look other direction. We got on the bus. We were laughing at him because he, I told the players how hard this was going to be. And forty minutes later, they showed up in the lobby. <laughs> and I respected him for that. And he sent me a, a sweatsuit afterwards. He's a Speaking great guy. Speaking of the easiest coach to work with, how about the most difficult? I don't want to talk negative about anybody. Uh, it's not Rick. I, I'll tell you that. I guess Bob Knight, when Eddie was here, we beat him. Him and Eddie had a conversation. If you want, was to that because they had the wrong official? That's exactly right. I was in the back hall with them during that time. I was, and Bobby was not happy about. I guess I didn't know how things worked then. I guess the home team hired the officials or assigned the officials. And Coach Knight expressed his opinion, which he could do very well time to time, with Eddie about, Eddie, you pulled a quick one on me. You told me these would not be SEC officials. And I guess Bobby thought he got beat by the officiating, which he did a lot. Of course, that was the night he chose to use that game 
to bench Alford, and he could have chosen any one of four games, but that was going to be his alibi too. Well, I didn't realize that part, but I knew yeah. Alford didn't play. There was a heated conversation in the back hall. Uh, they had to be separated. I'll leave it at that. And that was before the game. Yeah, he, he was he was very upset. He, he was a jerk. Excuse me, I shouldn't say that. But he, he was difficult to deal with. I would cut that out, but I won't. Okay. Most positive UK player that you ever came in contact with. I'm talking about just a player that was positive about everything all the time. Well, when it comes to mine, is Sam Bowie. Uh, you know, that young man, and and we're close to the same age, but that young man went through a lot in life to deal with and to still to get up and move forward. I mean, I think he played six years here, not right? Didn't he get two extra years of eligibility? He didn't actually. Uh, he, no, he didn't here, play, but he, he got. He was here, but yeah, he yeah. played three years. Yeah. And, you know, someone to have to go through the rehab and the things that, that Sam did, and, you know, I still see him around town. And uh, he. You know, I admire him for what he did. I mean, we all have things in life that when the chips are down, we've got to decide. You know, we got to play these cards or we're going to play a positive card or a negative card. And for whatever reason, Sam played a positive card. He he never's really seen him down in the dumps, even when he was on crutches and cast and stuff like that. He was He was always positive, and I've always admired Sam for that. He raised his family here, and what's that tell you? He likes this place. The proudest you've ever been of the Committee of 101? Well, I think I'm proud a lot because I'm still in the club. You know, I, when I put that uniform, that blue coat on and button my tie and, and everything, and, you know, I want to make sure my shoes look good. And kind of like my daddy used to teach me back in the old days, he was a Marine. He says, if you don't shine your shoes, you haven't done doing that, done everything. So, kind of like one hundred and one is kind of the same way. I mean, I'm, uh, but the most proudest I've been, uh, I guess, when they ask us to do the final four or we did the Olympic trials here back when uh, nineteen eighty, Dean Smith was the coach. He, you know, we helped organize that. We've run. The basketball, when the Final Four was here, we ran the tournament at the at the, the basketball seniors basketball um, game that weekend. You know, one night for Rick's tournament uh, in basketball, uh, he had a he has a golf tournament every year, and we had a pre-tournament meeting. And he says, you know, my goal now this was middle nineties. Uh, he said my goal is to raise a hundred thousand dollars. And we invited people, Van Florence organization, again, his organization skills, but he had New York Knicks people coming here. He had Rick's old players coming in here. He had professional basketball players coming in here to play in this golf tournament. He had the who's who of Lexington business coming to this uh, pre-golf dinner uh the Luther Deatons, the Dudley Webbs, the, all the people coming into this pre-dinner before the golf tournament the next day, we raised $134,000 in one night. And that, that made us proud because we had we set a goal and we worked for it. But that's part of what the 101 is, you know, donating your time. 
In 2066, 100th anniversary of the Committee of one you expect it to still be around, and what will be its legacy? Oscar, I would think so. When Van got sick back four years ago, Charlie Higginbottom, who's the president now, I'll never forget this, Van came to me and he said, I, I met with Charlie, and I think Van knew his – I don't think he knew his days were coming to an end, but I knew he, I know he knew his one-on-one days were coming to an end. And he says, Charlie, I'm passing this on to you, and I want to, I want to make sure one thing happens: make sure you're not the last president of the one-on-one, because it meant so much to him. And it, he had the pride that he had helped build it up, and we all had that. We want to pass it on to the generations to come, and. I, I think it will. I mean, I don't know where college basketball is headed. I don't know how how long Rupp Arena will be around or any of that. And if if they build a new arena on campus, if if UK would want to hire their own people, you never know. Athletic director changes and things like that. But I I think we've we've earned our keep and and done it the right way. And I think you know the one on one club wants to keep doing it the right way. You've just finished listening to episode 96 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House and his guest, Danny Moore. Throughout this podcast, Danny mentioned a few names in which they too have also been a guest of Oscars on Conversations. Episode 19 and 20 features Brooks Downing. Episode 81 and 82 features Bob Bradley and Bill Owen of Rupp Arena is episodes 91 and 92. All of Oscar's conversations can be found at oscarcombs.com or you can download for free on your mobile devices through iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe. The Big O on Twitter, he's at Wildcat News 24-7. For Oscar and Danny Moore, I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.